Well, here's here's entrepreneurial uh, or entrepreneurial advice 101 is when you find success, they tell you now it's time to go hire somebody. And just because you were successful as a, a realtor or an investor doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader or a great person that is is hiring the right person. And so you have to immediately put yourself into a different perspective and mindset. And 80% of your problems will go away if you make the right hire. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Eric Hatch, and today you're going to learn lessons, three top lessons to get the best people in your business to help you grow your real estate investing business. Really, for the active investors out there, you need people in your business, and that is really Eric's specialty, or maybe one of Eric's specialties, but he talks about that in the show, how knowing people and understanding people has helped him grow numerous businesses. He tells us a bit about his real estate investing experience. He has right around 60 doors right now. It's created financial freedom for him. He runs 12 companies. And frankly, there's absolutely no way to do that if you don't know people. You have to have people to do as much as he does. And that's really what he has mastered. And that's the lesson that he's bringing to us today. How to get people in your real estate investing business and scale. Really three top lessons that we're digging into in that thing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially interested in investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, 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 so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews. They think, hey, this person learned something from the show. Maybe I can learn something as well. And you know what? I see your reviews. I see that you're learning from the show. And that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That's what it's all about, helping you guys get onto Main Street. Once again, our guest today is Eric Hatch. Without any further ado, here we go. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Oh, nice to be here. It's a beautiful day in sunny Fargo, North Dakota, and so glad to be joining you. Awesome. I love the movie. I enjoy the TV show as well. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself, how you invest, and then we're going to get into how you're helping people today. Uh, so an, an investor is uh, one of the hats that I wear, but I get to wear the hat of being a husband and a father of two kids, the most important jobs that I have bar none. Uh, after that, uh, I care a lot about leadership and I exemplify it uh, through the businesses that I own and run. I have uh, just over a dozen businesses that I have the privilege of running from investment groups to uh, a residential real estate company to I own a coaching company. Uh, I'm a published author. I have sold tens of 
of copies. Watch out. Uh, that, I'm sure. <laughs> I hope so, too. Uh, but uh, if, if I'm selling my own hype, it's all a little bit woof. But uh, everything that I do is a passion and a derivative of leadership. And so I've picked the vehicle of real estate and selling residential real estate uh, for the last decade or so. Uh, my team and I have sold over 6,000 homes in the last decade, uh, which has been a fun run of it. In Fargo, North Dakota, the entire community that we serve is 250,000 people. We have about a 10% market share here. Uh, and so we're running out of runway with that. And a few years ago, I went and found my time in uh, building a coaching business. And so now uh, I'm privileged to be one of the top 20 real estate coaches in the country uh, for where we're at. And the things I coach on are really trying to redefine how people treat people. Uh, this is always a people game. I know that what we're talking about here in terms of passive wealth is about real estate and what we can do. And for me, I've tried to master people and real estate has been that strategy. So it always started with relationships for me. I bought my first investment property with a couple of buddies 10 years ago, and uh, now we're about 60 doors later and I'm flipping about a dozen houses a year and I'm playing the Airbnb game with about 15 of my properties. I just bought a $2 million lake place that's for my own family and it's funded by my other lake place that is uh, ran as a full Airbnb. And so I pay $0 out of pocket for a $2 million lake place because I'm playing the Airbnb game uh, on my other lake place. So um, I've somehow crack the code on this. It's mostly uh, an idiot falling and failing forward. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm elated with the life I live. And I'm so, I'm so filled with opportunity. Like all my prayers have been answered and I'm really tired because of it. You know, I, I pray for a big <laughs> life and big influence and big opportunity and I'm wiped. <laughs> well, awesome. And it sounds like you really, uh, you know, have created a lot of teams and systems to run all these things. I mean, 12 businesses is quite a bit and we all only have 24 hours in the day and i'd yeah. love to dig into you know basically lessons on how to build a team or priorities that we need to have as investors to really do that effectively and not just constantly have you know turnover because maybe we're not finding the right people or maybe we're not working with them properly or anything along those lines so Let's get into that. How are we screwing up? Yeah. Building our teams? Uh, well, well, here's here's entrepreneurial uh, or entrepreneurial advice. One hundred and one is when you find success, they tell you now it's time to go hire somebody. And just because you were successful as a, a realtor or an investor doesn't mean you're going to be a great leader or a great person that is is hiring the right person. And so you have to immediately put yourself into a different perspective and mindset. And 80% of your problems will go away if you make the right hire. It is simple. It is not easy, Taylor. There's three steps that you need to make when building a team. Get, train, and retain. Three very simple steps. The first step of get is you need to get the right people. And the right people is exemplified in what I call the partner model. Uh, it's how I've built the healthiest move of all my businesses. So I'm going to use uh, residential real estate as the backdrop of it, okay? I, in 2011, found great success. I sold 52 houses my first year in real estate, and they were all from my sphere of influence and open houses. Like, So I had a $0 marketing budget, and I sold 52 houses. I'm like, whoa, this is unbelievable. 
And so I went with uh, entrepreneurial rule 101, and that is hire someone. And so I hired someone, but I didn't bet them. I didn't, uh, I didn't set them up for great success. I wanted them to come in and I wanted them to uh, know what they were to do. And I wanted them to pick up my scraps and uh, walk around and essentially be my slave. Those were never my words. That was never my <laughs> outward intention, but I wanted somebody to just make my life easier. Well, I didn't hire the right person, Taylor. Uh, that get portion cannot be undersold. And, and I recognized I had to do this the right way. So I brought on the, I brought another person that got better at it. And then I brought another person that got better at it. But this partner model is the idea that you should never be hiring and duplicating yourself. See, it's easy. If a real estate salesperson says, I want to hire somebody else that can also sell houses. Cause now if they're selling houses and I'm selling houses, I'm going to sell twice as many houses. Or if this person is finding me an investment property uh, and I'm really good at that, I'm going to bring on somebody else to help me find an investment property and they're going to find places. I'm going to find places, and that's going to be great. Or I'm going to, I'm going to put up 50 grand for this or 10 grand for this or a hundred grand for this. And I just need to find other people to put up that same amount of money. And now everybody is doing the same job and you're left looking around being like, huh, is this really going to work? Because <laughs> my story uh, in, in this is when I figured out this partner model, it is the idea of going deep, then wide. If you want a wide business, if you want a wide portfolio, I think your move is to go deep, then wide. So deep means your first hire should be leverage for you and not to replace you. Take off all those things that you are not your best at. You give them the opportunity to do the administrative work and the things that are slowing you down, the minutia killing, exhausting tasks that are involved with all of our businesses. Your first hire is going to bring your clothes to the dry cleaner, not as your slave, but they're there as that's what you have to sell it as is like, listen, I need somebody to be an extension of me. My personal assistant has had to go and pick up dog feces off of my lawn and bring it to the vet because my dog was sick. Right. But she knew it going in and she tells the story uh, and she's like, I can't believe I had to do this. But uh, no, it's great because I knew that I was going to be called to do those things. I need to spend my time in production because that's where I'm best. Taylor, you need to spend your time as an investor because that's where you're best. But there's a lot of different hats that an investor wears. So what are you best at? It's going to be finding the deals and finding the funding and making it happen. So everything else you shouldn't be doing. Go deep, not wide. And so you make your first hire to take the stuff off your plate. You then make your second hire to help you grow and to find more at-bats. But you are still that person that is that main salesperson. You're still that person that's the deal finder. You're still that person that's the relationship person. And you need to think it like a businessman or businesswoman and build this leverage around you. Then here's the key hire. The next key hire is the partner. In real estate, this is a licensed agent. In the investor world, this is somebody who is going to be that direct extension of you and start to do what you do, okay? So that means that when in, in my world, this person is going to come on board and their first role and responsibility is to help me sell houses, not to do administrative work, not to uh, spend time sending uh, emails to clients, not to do marketing campaigns. They're there to show houses, open doors, build relationships with clients, because that's when I can actually make a commission, right? Mm -hmm. Is when I'm actually selling and I'm in this world where I can monetize it. 
This person is the nurse to my doctor. They are getting their master's degree in real estate and they are a salaried employee. They are not full-time commission-based because there's only one of five people that can be full-time commission, whether it be with investors or real estate or business in any sort of way, only one of five people can be a uh, full-time commission. Number one, they have a sugar daddy or sugar mama. <laughs> Number two, they're a trust fund kid. Mm-hmm. Number three, they have a part-time job doing something else that can help them stay afloat. Number four, they have a savings account of six months worth of reserves. Or number five, they have terrible financial habits. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's who we look for to come on board in these like commission jobs and these chances that have high risk, high reward. And we think that our responsibility is I'm going to bring in somebody. They're going to do what I do. They're just going to, I'm going to throw them and I hope and I pray and I wish that they're going to be successful. That is the worst flipping business strategy that almost everybody does. And I've done it. I've been there and I can't do it anymore. And I'm on a mission to tell every business person in America to stop treating people like that. Give them a better chance to come alongside you because you are that power source. You're the one that knows all the intricacies and the details. And if somebody shadows me for a year and they're an extension of me for a year and they earn their right to graduate, Taylor, that's the difference. In real estate, 86% of realtors don't make it five years in the business. Mm -hmm. Think of that failure rate. I've hired dozens. I'm talking 50 partners in, in the last decade or so. Every single one of them is still a successful realtor if they've chosen to stay in the business, but nobody has had to leave because they couldn't put food on the table, right? This is a different model that is not just about my success, but it's about their success as well. And so as I talk about how to invest exceedingly well, I said it's get, train, and retain if you want to invest in your team and everyone else. So you get the right people, you train them as though they are going to be you in a year, You don't just give them minimal training and then throw them to the wolves. You train them as if they are about to be a doctor. Doctors go to school for like nine years uh, post high school, right? Uh, Or maybe it's even nine years post college. It's it's crazy the amount of schooling that they have to go to. Mm -hmm. And yet we take people and we hire them and we just throw them to the wolves after nine minutes (laughs) of training. Like, come on, y'all. We got to do better than that. And then the final piece is retain is you have to have a world that they're winning at the same time in which you're winning and you have to customize and develop for them huge opportunities. So I say all this as we're talking about investing, because if you're looking to invest and it's just you, that's a-okay. And that's where we all have to start. The moment you bring somebody on board, you need to think deep before you think wide. You have to build a solid, steady foundation. You got to go into that soil and you have to build around you. Don't try to duplicate you, build around you first. And then this one motto has changed the future of my business. And that is that everything is earned and nothing is given. Have an environment in which people have to show up and they have to achieve on such a high level and a high accord that they can't not be successful. In doing so, you're going to breed yourself a much longer standing business, a better teamwork. How do I have a dozen plus businesses that are flourishing and doing really well? It's because I figured out people and I figured out this model. I don't know jack about real estate, but I hired some really great people. And that's the thing I could figure out. Because if you know a lot about real estate and you don't know anything about people, you will be limited in your capacity. But if you know a lot about people, this world is your oyster. Wow. There's a lot to that. 
I think one of the things you said, there are a lot of things that really struck me, but uh, one of the things you said earlier on that really resonated with me regarding making that first go deep hire was giving them tasks that exhaust you. That was the kind of the rubric or the method that I used to identify things that I needed to hand off to someone to do, right? An employee to handle because I can, I can still handle things that are time consuming that maybe I don't enjoy, but I get, you know, don't really bother me that much. But if it exhausts me and it takes away emotional energy from me and makes me want to not do anything, then I have to get rid of it because it's taking away from my overall productive capacity. So that really resonated with me quite a bit. I don't know how much that you use that, you know, in your own business, but. So there's massive truth to it. I I have uh, in my book, I, I and here's a little self-promotion is uh, I just finished my second book. It's called The Perfect Real Estate Agent Blueprint. It'll launch this summer. Uh, in there, we have 125 different jobs that a realtor has to do in order to fulfill the entire business, right? Uh, no matter our industry, let's just say there's 125 jobs when it comes to real estate investing or, or, or in uh, being a developer, there's 125 jobs and roles. If you're one person, you do 125 jobs. If you're two people, it is it is irresponsible to think that uh, those jobs are going to be split up evenly. It's irresponsible to think that, okay, well, I just need to find somebody else to do what I'm doing. No, 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 no. You need to say, what are the 20 things that are sucking the life out of me <laughs> and that are slowing me down, that give me no joy and that are taking an ample amount of my time? Because Taylor, this opportunity to have a big life is if you do less more, right? If you're going to do less with what's on your plate and you're going to give more of what you're the most talented and gifted at, right? I'm only good at a few things, right? Uh, I'm good at hiring people. Uh, I'm good at being a cultural champion uh, and I'm good at casting vision. What's my world like if I can eliminate everything else from that? And I don't have to sit in another meeting and I don't have to look at another spreadsheet, right? There are people built and designed naturally to love spreadsheets. And there are people built and designed naturally to love HR work. I don't want to touch any of that crap. I want to just be front facing with people. So if I'm going to hire, I got to get somebody who's great at things that I'm not great at. So how do you on the front end? Yeah. So you identify the tasks that in a certain condition you want, you want to get handled these, this set of things. Um, how do you identify on the front end, the person who is the right fit? How do you do that initial screening? Yeah. uh, So we, we have a a nine step hiring process that we follow and it is, it is extensive. It lasts a few weeks in time. It involves nine reference checks. It involves uh, a total of probably five hours of interviews essay. I mean, it's just, it is layered upon layered. And that process, what it does is it weeds out uh, people that aren't the right fit. Because I'll, I'll tell you, Taylor, if you're looking to identify the right fit of a key who, there's three elements that we measure. The first is we say, is this person a natural fit? We use something called a DISC profile. You can use Strengths Finder. You can use Love Languages. You can use Myers-Briggs. There's all these different personality things. But there are those that are naturally extroverted, which is me. There are those that love leadership and responsibility, which is me. There are those that love details, which is not me. And there are those that are great team players and they keep the boat steady where while there's waves going on. That's also not me. And so you need to find and hire somebody that is not you. You hire another version of yourself and you've amplified your problem 
and you've exacerbated all of this, uh, this pain that's waiting for you here. And so the first 25% of making a decision when it comes to hiring is, is this person a natural fit? And there's a lot of personality profiles that'll help you. I know if I need to hire an admin, I need somebody to be uh, detail oriented and I need them to be a team player. Um, I don't need somebody fighting for power with me. I don't need somebody who's going to talk the entire time when I walk in the office. I need somebody who is task oriented and I, I, I want them to be a part of the culture and the ingrainment. So I, I hope that uh, that makes enough sense there. The next, yeah. go ahead. I no, 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 go ahead. Just saying, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the next 25% is, is this person, do they have grit and tenacity? I, in fact, love somebody who has a chip on their shoulder and they feel like they have something to prove. Um, the way in which you find out about that is not to say, Taylor, do you have grit and tenacity? <laughs> True. Which is how most people would do an interview. But instead, uh, Taylor, tell me about your life and tell me about uh, one or two hardships that you went through and that you overcame. And if you're like, well, uh, my prom date um, wouldn't dance with me. And that was really hard. I'm going to be like, hey, this person hasn't been through much. That may be a training ground of when they come on board or they're like, Hey, my parent died when I was 12 and I had to learn to fight. Like I, I'm more drawn to those that have had uh, not only the courage to share with me and be vulnerable, but I'm drawn to those that have gone through tough things and have overcame. I, I, I always constituted of them being an even though person instead of a because person, because an even though person says, even though this happened to me, but a because person says, because this happened to me, and then it's met with an excuse of underperforming and, and, and not showing up. So I don't have much capacity for victims in my life. Um, the final 50% of uh, figuring out, is this person going to be the right fit is uh, this watered down overused word of culture and culture for me is like the, it's the buzzword of the last 10 or 20 years as is yeah. leadership. I even say them and I'm like, Eric, find another word, do something different. Uh, <laughs> I think that culture for me is, and I'm going to steal the title of my first book. It's, it's to play for the person next to you. It's somebody's willingness to serve the person, to go out of their way, to make sure that they're taken care of. Culture is not a ping pong table and, uh, and a, a free soda. Uh, when you show up, culture is uh, a place where people walk in and they say, I got to make sure that that person's taken care of. And I care about them as an individual. Um, there's a chapter in my book that's called, you can't not have cancer at work. You can't not have cancer at work, which means and says that if you want to show up, you have to be your true authentic self. If the, if you're going through hell, you can bring that to us. Like that's the culture that I want. And I need somebody, if I'm bringing them on my team, if they're going to be a great supporter, they need to be okay. If I have a bad day and I need to know when they're having a bad day, cause it's really exhausting being two people. And I just want us to be our authentic selves. So that's how I try to figure out, is this person going to be a great fit and a great hire? Okay. So I, I think I understand that you're saying that in the unfortunate event, somebody gets cancer and they're still working, they can't separate and be a separate person who doesn't have cancer while they're working. That, that has to be in your mind. Of course, how could it not be? And you think the cultures, if I may continue to overuse yeah. this word yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, of, of other, you know, other types of companies kind of expect you to be somebody without cancer while you're at work and then, you know, handle all that problem mm -hmm. elsewhere when you're not here and you want to get rid of that idea. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a literal and a figurative cancer. Uh, cause cancer could be the fight you had with your spouse, or it could be the depression you're going through, mm -hmm. or it could be, uh, stresses that come from family or life or finances, whatever it may be. And I need somebody to be their true authentic self. And I also need them to be a, 
keenly aware of what's happening in their surroundings and that they're being a caretaker for those that are that are around them. Wow, I love that. And I, I think that's a great insight into just the way our, our personal lives play into basically our, our productive capacity and, and then also how like happy we are in our roles. Um, so before we move on to the last part of the show here, I want to ask you mistakes that you see investors making as they scale their companies. Any that you'd like to point out that we haven't covered so far, which I'm sure you could write several, several books about, but the top ones that, uh, you know, come to mind. Uh, I heard, uh, he's my favorite guy right now that I've been following. His name's Alex Hormozzi. He wrote a book called a hundred million dollar offers. It's a marketing book, but it's the best marketing book I've ever read. I'm following his TikToks and his, uh, Instagram stuff. And he's really solid. And what he said was, if something drives in you and you feel like you have FOMO, fear of missing out, and you're like, oh man, I better jump on this. He said, wait and pause. Don't jump on something because it seems like, man, if you don't jump on it today, you're going to miss out. There will be other things. There will be other opportunities. There will be like-minded pieces. I think cryptocurrency is this interesting thing. I, I don't currently invest in crypto. I have a gambling addiction and it feels like gambling to me. Mm -hmm. And so as somebody who's been sober for 13 years, it's really scary for me to jump into it, but I'm fascinated. And I probably like those of you who have watched crypto rise way up. I'm like, man, am I missing out? Like I better jump on this right now. Like everybody else is doing it. So I better do it. And anytime I feel this urgency, or if you're an investor thing, like I better jump on this property. Cause Oh my gosh, another property will come around. There will be another one. And you have to build your foundation, whether it be with the people that you have or the finances that you have, do not feel like you need to jump on that one. The other side of that coin is you can't wait till it's perfect, right? This, this feels contradictory, but you can't wait till it's perfect because perfect will never come. There will never be the deal where everything is too good to be true. Uh, you have to take some risk. You have to have some gumption and uh, you have to be willing to jump. But for me, I wait until it gets to a six out of 10 or a seven out of 10. I don't need it to be a 10 out of 10 but I don't need to live right now. Crypto for me is like a three or a four or a five out of 10, right? I see it. I'm entranced by it. Uh, it feels a little bit risky. Everybody else seems to be doing it, but for me, it doesn't feel solid enough yet, but don't wait for it to be perfect because it never will be. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. And it's not like you need to, you're not in a position where you need to make a home run on any particular investment. Whereas the crypto space does have a lot of folks, especially younger people who are trying kind of gambling to use your word to make mm -hmm. that home run to get hopefully you know get themselves to a comfortable financial position but at the end of the day if it's being treated like gambling then you know yeah you know, well. get, get rich quick is a way to get broke quick absolutely i don't mean to crap on crypto but i think you're no, i think you have something something right there so yeah great right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor the first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. 
Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Eric, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me with it, baby. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Uh, my, the best investment I ever made is definitely in some key who's, um, the, the relationship I have with my wife. Um, she is the break to my gas pedal. She is, uh, she is the introvert to my extrovert. She is the yin to my yang, uh, and she makes me better. And so I, just like we had spoken of earlier, I need somebody who, isn't the same as me that will make me better. And uh, she's easily my best investment. And then I've also made some really important key hires. Uh, there's unproven, emerging, and proven talent. All my greatest hires have been unproven talents, people who are wet behind the ears and they didn't see how great they could be. And now they are soaring and I get to ride on their coattails. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. We had the best investment, very on theme for the rest of our discussion. Yeah. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So I still own it. Uh, but my my original investment strategy was I was uh, doing single family homes near uh, the, the university in my town, right? So college houses, and I knew, man, I could get parents to co-sign and I'd buy these places uh, that are a little bit run down, but it didn't matter because they're going to be party houses anyways. And hopefully I get like the soccer team to be there so that it would be the, the soccer team's house for the next decade. And I did really well with my single family investment strategy. And then I went and I jumped in and I bought a bunch of duplexes, triplexes and quadplexes. And I moved out of the area in which I knew the demographic. And I was naive to who would be renting a $400 a month single bedroom apartment in a quadplex. And then I did my numbers wrong. Uh, I did my numbers wrong because I forget I, you get a triple net. Basically, when you when you have a single family house, they're taking care of lawn care and snow removal. They're taking care of utilities. And I forgot to factor that into my pro forma on these uh, buys, tries and quads. And so I failed, I paid the wrong price. I paid a top premium price. And then I had bad tenants in there. Uh, we've tried to recycle that out, but who wants to be in a $500, $400 a month apartment is somebody who usually is a little rough around the edges and I want to give them a chance, but it has burned me more than it's helped me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, the utilities I'm stuck with. Uh, and, and so I'm left on those licking my wounds. Fortunately, you play the long-term game and eventually you're going to win. But I, I went away from the strategy that I had mastered. And I went to a strategy that I thought I was supposed to go to because everybody else was, I had some FOMO as we just talked about. And that's where I really got bit. Interesting. And I imagine the heating bills up there are really <laughs> something else. It's like a bajillion dollars a month. Oh, wow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Uh, there's a book called the road, less stupid by Keith Cunningham. Uh, one of my favorite reads that I've had, and he talks about how our greatest successes are not in the moves we make. Uh, it's in the moves we don't make. It's about doing less stupid things. <laughs> and in this season that I find myself in, uh, like 
if anybody's listening to this podcast, Taylor, uh, they're an entrepreneur or they at least have entrepreneurial uh, taste in their mouth and they're ready to take some big swings. Their greatest successes are going to come uh, by figuring out one or two things to do exceedingly well and to get rid of all the other dumb stuff. Stop doing dumb things. Don't be afraid to do dumb things. But when you realize, oh, that's hot, stay away. And the more I simplify my life, the more success I find. Well, I love that. And that's really, we hear a lot of successful people say that their success came out of saying no significantly more than they said yes, which I think is just kind of a different way of stating that. I think Bill Gates has said things like that and Warren Buffett and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I know, I know we're running out of time. I just want to add this one piece. I hope that's okay. Uh, if, if I were to show up uh, in Richmond, Virginia to see you, Taylor, and I took $100 out of your pocket and walked away, you'd be probably pretty pissed and never talk to me again. I'd be like, where uh, did that $100 bill come from? I never. Yeah, yeah, cash. no doubt. <laughs> uh, but if I stole money from you, you'd be pretty pissed and you would draw some serious boundaries. Yep. Um, we are letting people steal our time all the time. That's the most valuable thing I have is my time. And there are time thieves in our life that are completely, hey, got a minute. Like if we're living in a got a minute culture or if you have not created boundaries in your life, uh, if somebody shows up and and uh, I live in Fargo, North Dakota, and, and here in Fargo, I have a, a name that's recognizable because I've grown a big business and people every day ask for my time. And I have to say no, because I have allowed them to steal from me, not because they're malicious, they're well-intended, but I've allowed them to take my time, which is my most valuable and limited resource. I can go make more money tomorrow, but I can't go and find more time. And so I have to have these boundaries that protect me. And so I say no almost all the time. And I put these barriers of what is it going to take to actually get to me? And I used to feel really guilty about it, but knowing who I love and care about, and that's my family, that's where I got to give my time to. Well, I love it. And I certainly appreciate you allocating some of that time to us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, if they want to find any of your books or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. Check out hatchcoaching.com, hatch like an egg coaching.com. You'll find everything you need for me there. And uh, we have an awesome YouTube channel as well that puts out content every week or two for building businesses and being great salespeople. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple podcast, five stars. If you don't mind guys, I appreciate that. So, so much that helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the wall street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.